Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Pet Cemetery, starring Jason Clark, Amy Simitz, John Lithgow, directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer. Welcome back to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that highlights new, old, and strange films with fine spirits. We're enjoying some more of the Russell's Reserve today. That's that's some pretty good bourbon there. Right. That, And again, it might be that single barrel that was made uh, specifically for our state, but that's some damn good stuff there. I really am a big fan, too. That's yeah. terrific stuff. Excellent. We'll have to keep an eye out if they do any more like specialties. Mm-hmm. But today we are closing yet another cast. We're closing cast number four. It's really hard to believe but here we are and we are closing uh king's landing part one the films of stephen king in particular some of his horror films and we're wrapping that up today with a review and a look at the new pet cemetery which as of this recording was released yesterday right but there will be some spoilers you know the plot is differs a little bit from the book but it's a book that's been out for nearly 30 plus years that was already made once so i don't know if they're is a lot of spoilers really everyone knows this story i guess if we're spoiling this for them it's on you yeah exactly yeah go out and read go out and read that 30 35 year old book almost <laughs> but uh we have a lot to talk about today um with this remake and then to tease what's coming in the month of april april's a pretty big month for what we got planned so really looking forward to that but we are going to start with our flight question for the week and you know be, being that pet cemetery is a remake of sorts it was made once already and that kind of pondered the question a couple weeks back we talked about you know the worst remakes the ones so shoddily executed uh this warranted the question for you matt was what's a remake you actually want to see okay so before i answer this question though i'm going to throw you a curveball jesse oh boy i have a pre-flight to our flight okay so this is big news, Rice Smile listeners. On the eve of the upcoming movie, The Long Shot, which is Charlize Theron's new film, the proverbial gauntlet of love was thrown down. Okay, in the Twitter sphere, Charlize Theron said that she has been shockingly single for 10 years and she's really tired of no man having big enough balls to step up and claim her. And that she's really tired of it. Which, to call yourself shockingly single and to be absolutely available in the spectrum of Charlize Theron got me thinking. Mm -hmm. Let's assume, Jesse, that you had big enough balls and that you were single and you lived in L.A. All right. Tell me how you're rolling on Charlize Theron because she's available, brother. (laughs) Exactly. How are you going to roll on that? (laughs) What's your date? For someone like Charlize Theron, check it out. She said, I can't believe I've been single for 10 years. I'm shockingly available. Mm -hmm. Which, man, the the context of that. And then to go from that to, if some guy has big enough balls, like, I'm probably here. Like, go. You got a pair. Let's hear what they are. Yeah, unless I just randomly run into her at a Trader Joe's when I'm shopping for my groceries. Right. The first part of breaking through this fortress is... How do I find her and get past her entourage of people to even set anything up? Like To call yourself shockingly available and then say it's not a long shot, mm-hmm. which sort of speaks to, like she said, it's, it's, it's not a long shot. Yeah. Like, I'm gettable. Mm-hmm. 
man, can you imagine being single and calling yourself shockingly single? It yeah. just reeks of like lust yeah. and ego. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking you, yeah. all right, Mr. Single in LA with a big set, mm -hmm. where are you guys going on your date? Jeez, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm freaking out right now. I'd probably be freaking out too because, you know, it would be Charlize Theron. It's probably like, how did I get to this place in the in the first point? You know, now that you mention that, that actually sounds like a pretty good movie. Like, how does average Joe strike it up with like a list like actress like maybe she's the secretary of state and it's seth rogan <laughs> yeah so i'm wondering is this just, just a, a shameless pitch for a film because i'll give you my date a publicity stunt it, it does kind of speak to like i need a man's man right mm -hmm. and for Charlize theron who world-class model one of the most beautiful creatures the god's ever created this yeah. whole country right i think all of the like let's go do painting and wine and sort of all that stuff is out so i'm going to give you one okay we're not going to do a date me and her we're going to do a weekend okay okay so we're going to start off with a meal at an all-you-can-eat, like, steak, or no, like, grill, like, meat place. Mm -hmm. um, there's all of them all over the place. We're not doing dim sum. Yeah. We're not doing some soy. We're certainly not doing Panera. Yeah. We're going to a place that's got, like, all of the, the guys walk around with the skewer with the meat on there, and there's different versions. That's where we're going to start. Okay, right. That's going to be where we're going to open. Okay. Then we're not going to get in a jet. We're getting in a goddamn helicopter, and we're going to fly to Houston, Texas, to go see Metallica. Okay. And then when we're finished with Metallica, <laughs> we're going to come back in the helicopter, okay? And we're not going to go to a spa. We're going to camp, okay? Cabin. In the mountain. Maybe not even cabin, maybe a tent. Okay. And then we're going to get from the tent back in the helicopter, and we're going to finish up with the Monster Truck Rally. What do you think? Think I, that shows I got a big enough set? I know, yeah. You, you think you, she's interested? You hit all the masculine points there. Yeah. Yeah, with the, yeah you'd have to see... I don't know those weekend those those are like relationship killers. You're, you're stuck with the person the whole weekend if it like bombs right away. You know what I mean? So I know, but that's like to the point. Like I got a big old set. Like I'm willing to gamble all this, and we're not gonna in the in the mountains. The meat, what does it look like the next morning? Like in the meantime, get... we're gonna go to a blacksmith smelting thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna smelt <laughs> my own like sword or like axe or whatever, <laughs> something like that. Oh, that's funny. Oh, but I forgot one thing. Okay. In between the Metallica concert and camping or whatever. I'm going to have one of my Freemason events and she's not going to be able to go because women aren't allowed in there. So she's going, to have, she's going to have to wait for me for an hour. So we go take care of our Masonic business. That's pretty good. Yeah. I thought you were going to like Houston, like for, for, for baseball, but Metallica, that sounds, that sounds a little bit better. Yeah. Excellent. Sounds good. Charlize, if you're out there, that's a date, but you can't have it because I'm already off the market. Yeah, already, so you're going to have to try somewhere else. There you go. Well, now that I've been thrown for a loop here, I gotta recompose myself. All right, sorry, back to the point here. I'm just thinking of Charlize Theron now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so thinking about those remakes, thinking about Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Um, you know, remake just by definition alone kind of feels like inferior territory, but that's not fair either because there have been some good ones. Yeah. The Thing, The Fly, um, just, just um, some examples right there. So, Matt, what's one that you actually want to see? We talk about this movie a lot, you and I. Okay. Super, super great idea, just executed so badly. From a actually best-selling novel, too. It's The Star Chamber. Hmm. Michael Douglas is The Star Chamber. For those Ex of you... Yeah, explain a little bit, because I never had heard of this until you told me about it. Yeah, for those of you that don't know what that film is, essentially, it's a group of judges that meet together on a monthly, bi-monthly basis, and they bring to the meeting possible candidates to be discussed of people they saw in their courtroom who beat the charges, 
who were O.J. Simpson guilty, but somehow beat the charges, mm-hmm. right? Insert whatever person that you know that beat the charges. And then they present the worst offenders to each other, and a vote then proceeds. After the vote, a winner is selected, and a hitman is hired by these judges to be killed to remove that you know, malevolent element from yeah. society. Yeah. Man, the abdication of justice, mm-hmm. the abuse of power, mm-hmm. uh, the secrets that we have to keep, yeah. what goes on in the room that we don't hear, yeah. that sort of very interesting thing, like what goes on in the judges' chambers that we're not, like all of that's in play. Yeah. And somehow that movie, the first half is okay. Yeah. And then the second half is just absolute garbage. <laughs> so I want someone to remake that movie. And you can even keep the same beats of the movie for the first half, but up until the midpoint of the script. Because mm-hmm. essentially what happens in that film is Michael Douglas mm-hmm. gets invited into the star chamber and he grows a conscience. Yeah. And so now he's defending the undefendable and the unworthy of defense as far as street level criminals, or maybe not even street level criminals, terrible, debaucherous human beings. But the judges turn on him because now they have committed a, an egregious act of justice, an injustice of justice. Yeah. And they turn on him and it's the hitman eventually comes after Michael Douglas because yeah. to his demise goes the secrets and the thing. Man, it's a really, really great idea. Yeah, that could be that that, that could be good. And a terrible film. You could bring Michael Douglas back into it, be one of the older judges. I think Hal Holbrook's in it. Yafit Koto's in it. Who, um, who would you have starring it today? Okay, I know you don't like him. Okay. Uh, but I actually think... Oh, boy. Man, does that really... Let me think about that for a minute. Okay. Can I come back to that? Let, let me ponder that while you give me your response. Sure, sure, definitely. Okay. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm actually going to pick two. And I'm actually going to pick two kind of going the opposite of Matt's. Sort of, that was kind of a shoddily executed uh, idea. I'm going to go with two films that are actually pretty good on their own right. The first is The Wild Bunch. Oh. Um, yeah. Film, wow. Yeah. Sam really? Pe- Sam Peckinpah's Western, which... Almost didn't get released because it was too violent. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of thinking about that violence. But I actually want to take this... You know, we had a remake of The Magnificent Seven a couple years ago that kept it in the West in that time period when it was set. I actually want to take The Wild Bunch out of the Western genre oh, and wow. put it in the in, in, in the modern era. And I just think, you know, this, this kind of unscrup- this scrupulous group of kind of really horrible people <laughs> that kind of come band together to, to do to do some good. I think that could be a lot of fun and may set it in some urban jungle or or where I don't know exactly what the setting is or really who the cast is. But I'd really like to see that kind of tale of of violence, outlaw and just kind of those bad characters. You know, we're talking about that era again. That's when film characters weren't all like cut and dry like Cary Grant's and Jimmy Stewart's. They had an edge to them. Yeah. An edge that was maybe not redeemable in the end. That's the first one. Well, I mean, to that, yeah. remember the movie starts off as the those kids burning those ants. Mm-hmm. Or, no, watching the ants kill that. Is it the grasshopper? It's a... Yes. A scorpion, a right? scorpion, right? Yeah. Those ants mm-hmm. are just devouring that scorpion. They're yeah. just sitting there with glee on their faces mm-hmm. watching those ants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Very, very interesting mm-hmm. beginning. Okay, good. My second one is the total opposite end of the spectrum. So 1986, Back to School. I really like Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. And yeah, I, I, I think Keith Gordon and uh, Polly from Rocky. That's <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a hilarious... It's actually the, the, the made more money than James Cameron's Aliens in 1986. It was actually a pretty huge hit Wow. in 86. 
I want to see this done again, but I actually want to use one of the actors that was in that movie. I want Robert Downey Jr. playing the Rodney Dangerfield part. Yeah, he was a kid when he was in that movie, so this post-Avengers career that Downey's going to have, what what a great role for him to harken back to his his earlier years, but to play the lead of Thornton Mellon, this kind of rich guy that wants to re- reconnect with his son through college that he never went to college. Yeah. I think that could be fun. That could be a lot of fun. Um, Boy, there was a time in my life when that movie was in circulation on HBO. Uh-huh. And it was not uncommon for me to watch that one and a half to two times a day. It was the summer it was yeah. on. And then we you, watched that movie so much. And then you'd go to the YMCA the next day and you'd try and do a triple Lindy <laughs> off the diving board. <laughs> the triple Lindy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really like both of those. And I think, you know, it's different enough that, you know, in the vein of like the thing and the fly, you can take a different take without rehashing the same material. Mm-hmm. I So th- those are my picks. Those are my picks. Those are terrific. Yeah. I like both those ideas. Yeah. For the Star Chamber, what I'll give you is Ben Kingsley, okay. Mark Strong, mm. Mark Wahlberg. Mm. And I know you're not a fan of this, but the Michael Douglas character is going to be Clive Owen. Oh, good I think, God. I think he fits that for me. <laughs> okay. Okay. He fits that as... Uh, he just got the look for me. And I, I, sure. I don't really understand why you harbor such a grudge against I Clive Owen. I don't know. Yeah. It's... But I don't. <laughs> okay. Um, and I think that's my Star Chamber. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent picks. <clears throat> Uh, so let's get right to it. Let's get to the happy hour. We got the Russell's Reserve uh, crank in here. Let's get to our review and breakdown of Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery starts out with actually one of my pet peeves of film. It starts with this aerial mm-hmm. craning shot of the farm building and actually showing us this blood trail leading from the Creed residence. So this film's showing us the end before it starts. This is just me. I don't know if it's you. I have like like a top 10 like pet peeves in film you know you don't like the sentient and the villain that wants to destroy the world to take it over to rule the world over rebel this Mm -hmm. is one of jesse's jesse i i don't like seeing this at the beginning because what it's telling me is that you're not confident in your ending and you have to tease it ahead of time okay that's fair yeah kind of think yeah think think of avengers infinity war if we saw kind of like people riddling into dust and then we went back and saw the rest of the movie that that would be bs so it would be bs so we we get started and we're introduced to the creed family played by uh, jason clark amy simitz and um uh, jete lawrence and a, a dead ringer for original Gage Creed from the 1989 film, Lucas Lavoy. And I think, and, and, and it was a twin. There was two twins playing this part. He looks just like the other little boy. It's crazy. So disclaimer, Jesse and I were at this movie last night with uh, our Charlize Theron's. Mm-hmm. And uh, when that kid showed up, both looked at each other and said, that kid is an absolute dead ringer for mm-hmm. the first gauge. Yeah. So before we get too far, can I ask you a question? Because this is going to play out in a later podcast. I think we should set this up. Do it. Why is it mm-hmm. that you are so adverse to the bookending technique of showing what the end of the film is going to be at the get, at the beginning instead of just letting us get there? So other than lack of confidence in story, like what is it that gets you about that? For me, I don't know. I think it's it kills the suspense too. I think especially in good horror. To get to your ending, which is supposed to be your shock, your twist, your 
resolution yeah your 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 reversal recognition so to speak is you want to build up to that and i think by showing like oh something obviously went wrong there no i don't want to see that something obviously went wrong i want to see the events that play out to absolute disaster Mm -hmm. just like films like seven i want to see the events that lead up to brad pitt's wife's head ending up in a box like how do we get there and I, I just don't like being shown this this scene right off right off the bat. I I've, there's there's another movie. Uh, it got a kind of a, a limited release. I think only on streaming. And it kind of did the it, it did the same thing, where it started with it started with the ending first, and then went back and and told it. So I'm, that's just something I'm not a fan in any movie. It doesn't have to be a horror movie. If that's just that's just any movie. Start the story how it needs to start. I think that's. I think that yes. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. I I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me as much as it does you, but sure. it is it is problematic. Okay. Yeah. You're okay. I think that's a great explanation. Yeah. Look, the final three beats when you write a story are crisis, conflict, resolution. Mm-hmm. It's the square off between good and bad, mm-hmm. the actual action sequence between good and bad action being a verb that not is like fisticuffs but like the playing out of what that is crisis conflict Mm -hmm. and then resolution is how it ends up Mm -hmm. if you've given us the resolution okay so here it is and this is my issue with that sure it puts us automatically in inside movie yeah prequel mode yep you know what the end is Mm -hmm. so now we're leading up to the end you nobody opens their their christmas gifts on you know, December 23rd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Goddamn, you open up on the 25th. Yeah. Show the ending at the end. Maybe. Unless you're going to do like Memento. Yeah. And everything's just jumbled. Right. Then or that, Inception. Then like, that, that, that's that, a whole that, different that, That's okay. But harkening back to what we talked about last week, really hammered in the point of patience. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah have patience to, to wait to show me what your ultimate resolution is. Right. And, and, and take the time to do so. Right. So Lewis Creed is uh, the new um, new doctor at a local university in in Ludlow, Maine, and he's moved his entire family. Who some of them, the kids mostly, are kind of like, eh, I don't really want to move. But the wife and the and and him, Rachel, they they think this as a good place to kind of start over. They've had some kind of strife in the past, and even more so uh, detailed a little bit in the book. And we're, we're not, I'm not want to compare it to the book. That one's better, but in 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 the Pet Cemetery, the book. Lewis has a really poor relationship with his in-laws. Right. They don't think he's good enough for Rachel. Right. Because uh, he's only a surgeon, right? Yeah, a, a surgeon, or he did this in school. Yeah, he's got a past with them. But they kind of think of this as a new start, this this new place. But, of course, they, they've got a, a property that's so inopportune. Like, they should fire their realtor instantly. Mm-hmm. Not only is this house located next to a very busy... Like interstate highway, oh, a road. I wouldn't even call it a highway. It's just like a two-way road where these trucks just use it to pass barrel down all day long from Ludlow to Derry. Mm -hmm. All these Castle Rock, probably Mm -hmm. all these all these king towns. But then also, they're they're owners of this pet cemetery that happens to be in their backyard, where the local kids in town, you know, come and bury their their pets when they pass on. And they've misspelled the cemetery S E M A. T-A-R-Y. I thought that part in the movie was interesting because we get an early look at a funeral procession for, I think it's a dog, mm-hmm. being transported in a wheelbarrow. And it checks all the gimmick horror things that we use, which is... Creepy kids. Creepy kids, pagan masks, mm-hmm. and 
a sort of haunting score behind it mm-hmm. as if the kids in the masks hauling the corpse of a dog in a wheelbarrow isn't enough. Yeah. So here's my other question about this. Sure. If you had property, and I guess they have property that is so vast it will forever be unexplored, according to John Lithgow's character explaining it to yeah. um, uh, Claude Rains. I mean, uh, Jason Clark. Jason Clark. Um, yeah, Claude Rains again. <laughs> would you just allow a cemetery to be on your property? Whether it's good or bad or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I, I, I don't know. Really? Yeah, I don't, like, I don't understand the logic of having this on your property. And I think, to me, this is going to be where this, there's good parts in the story, there's some bad parts in the story. Mm-hmm. The problem for me in this story is the lack of continuity that King can't see past. Mm-hmm. No one in their right minds, with kids, Jesse, would move into yeah. a house next to a freaking road that has... 18 wheelers hauling 65 miles an hour with two young kids okay not only because you get run over but when are you ever gonna sleep trucks go all day long and they make a good point in the movie to show the emphasis of the road as this terrible terrible place that Mm -hmm. has impending doom with loud noises you know in the original pet cemetery they uh people get killed you know that road uses up pets as delivered i think excellently by fred gwynn yeah okay in this movie, we don't get the speech from Lithgow as the Judd Crandall character mm-hmm. that Fred Gwynn played. We get a couple of boom like jump scares yeah. with like trucks that suddenly come from no sound at all to yeah. down the road. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Who in the... Yeah. What? Yeah. Like, you can't hear the truck and then all of a sudden the noise just sneaks up on you? Yeah, you wouldn't be able to get a lick of sleep. I'm a light sleeper myself already. I hear like like a door creak or whatever. Man, I would be, like, up all night long. So you move into a house that's next to this road. Yeah. And then you move into an area that has a cemetery on it and maybe two. But, okay, so I want to be real careful on one thing. Despite what I just said. Yeah, go ahead. We have to be careful not to say nobody would do that in real life. Because the truth with film is Mm -hmm. it's not real life. Yeah. And that, guys, is called the suspension of disbelief. Mm -hmm. If horror is delivered well, it gives you a plausible explanation to suspend your disbelief on why people are acting the way they are. Yeah. And this movie at this point doesn't other than Mm -hmm. they took this job where he's going to teach medicine at some local community college or something Mm -hmm. because it's going to allow him more time to spend with his kids. Yeah. The suspension of disbelief Mm -hmm. is, is... a monumental task in horror. Like one more quick thing and then I'll let you go, yeah, go back go ahead, to you. Go if you and I are sitting in this room right now mm-hmm. and blood starts trickling down from your ceiling and we hear, Jesse, Matt, get out. We're gone. Yeah. We're gone. We're not going to just chill. We're not going to be like, huh, that's weird. Is that rust? Hmm. I wonder what happens next. Hmm, that's weird. Okay. Well, it just was a dream. Like we're not going to do that. Oh, no, yeah. So, and that's a comedic way of saying this. But you have to get past that oh, yeah. in horror for the suspension especially disbelief. Especially in horror. Especially because, in horror. Yeah, right. Especially in horror. Right. So then Ellie, the the, the young daughter of, of, of in the Creed family, is really interested in this procession that she viewed with her mother. Yeah. So she goes back on her own, stung by a bee, and then we're introduced to Judd Crandall. After he probably in like infects her leg by putting some dirt and some moss on it. I thought that was really bizarre. Whether yeah. that's a remedy or not, I, I don't know. That I'd never heard of that remedy. Right. I got to tell you, but this is the first little kind of point of like divergent that the film's going to go for me. I like John Lithgow as an actor. 
Hey, me too. I like him as a villain, and he's played some really good villains. Blowout. Ricochet. Yeah, Raising Cane. Yeah. Yeah, films like that. This Judd Crandall doesn't have that warm, soothing grandpa personality that Fred Gwynn's had. I, I love that you mentioned him, because that's a great performance in the original movie. Maybe the only good Only per- performance <laughs> in the movie, yeah. right? Yeah. He comes across really crass and really direct and doesn't have that soothing kind of parental instinct that the, the prior actor had. That's no knock against John Lithgow. Right. But it becomes a problem later in the film when Church, the, the, the cat of the Creed family, named after Winston Churchill, is run over and then instantly just starts telling Lewis, we'll take care of this tonight. And just like, well, yeah, well, let's go up there and we'll, we'll do this. And so <laughs> this is all Crandall's fault. Like he mm-hmm. like sets them on this in a way that's like really disrespect, not even giving them a shred of like what might happen. And the thing is, he knows what's happened before because he's lived in this house in this town for 75 years. Uh, to the John Lithgow as villain, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Dexter as well. Yes. The Fred Gwynn character in the original is... A hulking presence on scene for two reasons. Yeah. His size yes. and his voice. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, fate gives you a cruel twist. Yeah, I'll give you Mike Tyson. No way Mike Tyson's voice matches Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. Okay, Fred Gwynn is the opposite of that. Blessed with mm-hmm. a set of pipes mm-hmm. and a presence. Yeah. That, you know, this is going to be weird and this is not the Fred Gwynn podcast. <laughs> but maybe maybe underutilized in Hollywood. Because he yeah, just yeah, was probably. Frankenstein's monster and the Munsters. Yeah, Herman Munster. Right? Mm-hmm. Which was kind of a, for, not forgettable, but like... I think I've only seen him in that and Pet Cemetery. Right, me too. I'm, I'm sure there's other things. Yeah. But okay. So, John Lithgow, to fill the shoes of that, has to bring a presence to it. That I think he's capable of. That's a very talented actor. Yeah, that's definitely. had many, many memorable roles. He even played Winston Churchill in The Crown on Netflix. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Right, great. Pretty big character to play. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he comes across, like even in that initial meeting, yeah. he's kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> like he kind of scolds Ellie first. Get off that. And yeah. then she falls down and in the process of falling somehow gets stung by a bee, which that doesn't even make sense either. Like you either just why okay so here it is right here's here's the here's the theme for me in this movie it suffers from excess yeah she doesn't need to get stung by a bee just get a like a terrible splinter from the sticks in your mm-hmm. leg yeah where the hell is there a bee nest in this thicket or de- what they call deadfall yeah that a bee comes out and stings her and then his hey come here little girl mm-hmm. and he rolls up on her yeah pulls out the stinger smears some mud on her and says. You gotta be careful. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no. Oh com- my gosh, are you okay? There's no compassion. That warmth is missing. Which Fred Gwynn did have as yeah, the exactly. Judd Crandall character, exactly. But here's the thing: mm-hmm. we do get an explanation mm-hmm. as to why he takes Church up to be buried mm-hmm. uh, without giving, you know, um, Lewis. Lewis the, ex- you know, the the rationale as to why doing that because he tells us later mm-hmm. that Ellie lit a spark in his heart mm-hmm. or found a place in his heart that hasn't been kindled in some time. Yeah. When in the hell mm-hmm. did we see that monumental moment between sweet nine-year-old little girl, aged, haggard old man, and this this adjoining... Uh, like, it's not it's there. It's not that moment, for sure. But we sure as hell know how to take a stinger out and use some mud. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> so in between, in between all that... 
Lewis is working at this university. Yeah. And the first day, yeah, he's got a, some kids with some blow, uh, bloody noses and maybe some flu, meningitis, whatever. But then this incident happens, and they bring him this bicyclist who was hit by a car. Victor, Victor Pascal. Victor Pascal. Mm-hmm. And... He's like all torn up. His brain sticking out. His like shoulder blade bones popping out. Like his whole right side's like so disgusting. And he dies, obviously. And but warns Lewis. Lewis, the I don't think he said that in the scene, but essentially the soil of a man's heart is is stonier. Okay, I gotta stop you right there. Okay. What in the hell does that mean? <laughs> that is this monumental line in both of these films. Mm-hmm. The soil of a man's heart is stonier than a Native American burial ground that's been uh, annexed by demons and brings the dead back to life as super-powered zombies. What are we... What does that even mean? (laughs) I don't know. Because it's brought up ad nauseum in both films. Yeah. What is... Jesse, the soil of a man's heart is stonier means what? I've never heard the word stonier until this pet cemetery universe <laughs> that is and that is like this 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 hanger of importance in yeah. this film that doesn't mean shit yeah so almost it's like, like you know what you know what that this this reminds me of like when when we because once in a while we do sports in here right yeah yeah i this is the expression that i hate okay oh this particular coach guys are going to want to go play for him because he's a player's coach what in the hell does that mean yeah <laughs> he's a player's coach yeah who are you coaching for the moms yeah the broadcasters mm-hmm. he's a player's coach yeah She's a player's coach? Yeah, they say that all the time. You're right. right. Yeah, you're right. That's That has about the same <laughs> weight or significance as... The, actually, you know what? Here it is. Okay. You won a national championship. Yeah. You get yourself a coach that has a stonier heart that's a player's coach, and you're going to be all set. I'd probably tell you, what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The soil of a man's heart is stonier. Yeah. Then what? Yeah. And to what significance? So Pascal's almost like, he's like the Christmas Carol element to this story. He's like the okay, harbinger, right. the, the overhanging ghost that's trying to warn... Marley? Jacob Marley? Yeah, only but only Lewis that don't go up there, don't do this, don't do that. And I think both in the book and in this movie, for some reason, not in the middle, in the middle movie, we need to, we're going to make comparisons to the book, film 89, and film 2019. You have to. Kind of underutilized. In that that other film, he shows up a lot. Like in the doorways and the this. The conscience and... for the characters. Yeah, yeah. Effectively done. Yeah. I think right. I think he's in maybe two scenes in this this new this new movie. So I think pretty underutilized. And, and same in the book. He disappears after a while in, in the book. But uh, Lewis is a little shaken up by this. He didn't expect to see this in this little main town. And this kind of gets things going. Because the very next scene after this is dead church on the side of the road mm-hmm. so now we're, we got this whole specter this theme of death now let's get into this too because i actually i think this is handled pretty well in this uh opening half of the movie which is ellie's curiosity and obsession with with the afterlife and death wanting to know more about you know what happens after that the pet cemetery and then she finds out that you know judd's wife had died norma who's actually still alive in the book for a good portion of it until she passes on and then she see ellie sees that in the book that that's her first experience with human death okay uh and then you know church running away uh this they're building to something that's gonna kind of pay off a little later Mm. but ellie's obsession with death is is a theme in the movie 
And the way the parents handle it, the mom's got a real adverse reaction to even bringing it up or talking about it. Lewis is more direct. So then, then there's a clash there. But what's the mom's uh, reason, Rachel, for not wanting to go there? Okay, so this also is for all of the moments of excess in the film, one of the moments of underdevelopment. I mm-hmm. shouldn't say film, story. Yeah. Rachel had a sister named Zelda who mm-hmm. suffered from spinal meningitis. And Mr. this Mr. Glass syndrome. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> That's funny, right? Yeah. And her terrible parents, yeah. which is a huge part of this movie mm-hmm. and this story that is underdeveloped, also mm-hmm. leave her one night. I guess they go on a date or something. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And she's left to take care of her sister Zelda. Mm-hmm. This sister Zelda, by the time the meningitis has set in, is this grotesque, twisted, angry hateful thing Mm -hmm. so this little girl who is young lewis's wife rachel as a young girl doesn't want to go up to the room one night Mm -hmm. so she puts the food in the dumbwaiter which she's been instructed not to do Mm -hmm. and sends it up so that she doesn't have to come face to face with zelda okay blah 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 blah. zelda falls down the dumbwaiter and dies in this movie yeah okay so from that moment forward real quick though how did zelda get out of the bed to go to the dumbwaiter she they said she could barely move she was so riddled with this meningitis that it was well, you mean someone who can't get out of bed couldn't crawl down the hallway, lift up a dumbwaiter, climb into the dumbwaiter, and fall? Yeah, exactly. You're not a horror fan. <laughs> Suspension of disbelief, Jesse. That's a lot of disbelief right there. Yeah, right. The so cat, I would say cavernous yeah, disbelief. Okay, so, so she falls down this dumbwaiter, all dies. So anytime there's a noise up above Rachel, her vision ascends skyward, which could be cool because there is an element of the afterlife to this. Mm-hmm. And it could be like looking skyward towards the heavens, but no, it stops at the ceiling, which is like, oh, a flashback to my sister and her death. Now that would have significance if it was paid off at some point in the film. The truth is the Zelda character in this movie is nothing more than a gimmick jump scare to show an ugly, hideous thing that's grotesque on screen Mm -hmm. and scare the audience because the story lacks the nature to do that in itself. It pisses me off Mm -hmm. almost as much as anything in this film. Mm -hmm. That could be really cool. Mm -hmm. But it's of zero consequence to anyone in the family except Rachel Mm -hmm. insofar as she has terrible memories that show up once in a while. And because of that, there's a manifestation of... I don't want to talk about death, which I'm also going to argue to Jesse is played out better in the first film Mm -hmm. with Star Trek next generation chick for three seasons than it is in this film. Mm -hmm. It has zero impact on the story. Definitely. Yeah, you're right to not any other member of the family or the cast. It's like just her. They don't even really have like in the first film, Mm -hmm. they kind of have a fight about it. At least they make up. They don't really even have, like, her being Rachel and Lewis. They don't really even have a fight. They kind of say, I think this, I think this. Mm -hmm. And we just roll on like it's nothing. Mm -hmm. You would think when all of the creatures that are dead start coming back, it would spark something in Rachel. But here it is. Poor story. Rachel's out of town Mm -hmm. for most of the people coming back from the dead. And when she comes back, what does it look like? When when the dead come back and Rachel figures out, what does it look like to her? I'm going to go up in my room and cry. That is not yeah. propelling story. Yeah, it's stagnant. It's okay. it's dead story. Boy, I, I you know as we're talking about this, yeah. I guess I didn't really realize till right now mm-hmm. how frustrated with this story I am. And, and that's okay. So yeah, I want I maybe a little disclaimer too. 
the, when I was watching this movie, I, I wasn't necessarily frustrated with the film I was watching. Right. Some, some aspects. I think I started thinking about King's logic and the ideas within this story, and I was like, you know what? Some of that, some of that kind of don't fly with me. Okay. The, okay. The next one, we're we're kind of getting right to it. Church is hitting the road. Crandall's like, Lewis, we'll take care of this tonight. You take Ellie trick or treating. So at eleven o'clock at night, uh, Lewis and, and Judd go to the pet cemetery. But Here we n- go. But not ah, they ain't going to that pet cemetery. They're going to. <laughs> The second cemetery, the Micmac Burial Ground. Literally, I think it's on top of a mountain. Yeah. So 75-year-old Judd and 40-year-old Lewis, for in the in the dark, are going to ascend this mountain to go... I had never thought about this until you mentioned it. Why in the almighty hell mm-hmm. are there two burial sites? You don't need it. It overcomplicates the story, that's for sure. If there's one burial site that has taken the totality of all the animals and things that have been killed in the road mm-hmm. and was given the power to bring back the dead to the living, then over the course of a hundred years, because so many pets have been killed, yeah. it's been used up yeah. and now the ground is sour. Mm-hmm. So keep it the same freaking burial ground. Yeah. And then when you use it now, what comes back is the soured version of the reanimated. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Why in the hell are we going over the quarry and through the thicket and, and across the, the woods? And through the bog. Two, I got to tell you, yeah. for as much as the first movie is B-list, yeah. that soundstage mm-hmm. that they used in the second film where the burial ground is, is so shitty looking. Yeah. Yeah. You can literally see the green screen mm-hmm. and like all that's missing is like, Quiet background, yeah. right? Yeah, it's so bad. There's no depth. I think they found they probably found a mountain in that first movie, and like the area that they have to bury them in isn't a burial ground at all. It's just like this little flat area with like some flat stones. <laughs> it's about the size. Jesse and I are, are doing this uh, podcast from about uh, a five foot desk facing each other. Mm-hmm. Like if we took this desk and did the area like length and width, that's about the, the area that they have to bury these people in yeah real tiny it, it because they're too lazy yeah. to make and and back to what you said mm-hmm. the geography is absurd <laughs> it's like a seven mile hike yeah. carrying a carcass at midnight up with, sticks with an elderly man yes okay mm-hmm. it's gonna get ridiculous later in the film because oh, it's gonna get ridiculous <laughs> because we're not going back to this burial site not once not twice not three times we're going back four times back up here to to right. to, to to bury something. Yikes! Like that's what's a more implausibility? Suspension disbelief. A seventy-five-year-old man hiking over the quarry, or the deadfall, or a nine-year-old dead girl? Because they're both going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, bo- both of them, and the nine-year-old. <laughs> I know, right? Let, let's 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 build up to that. But but I, Jesse, wait, back to what you said. Let's get back. Let's let's King, kind of this summarize is, this. This is King's fault. This, this it's is, exactly. It's not, I don't blame the filmmakers of either of these movies or the writers. King set two locations. The Victor Pascal character that you mentioned, the ghost that serves as the conscience mm-hmm. in the film, yeah. serves the exact same purpose that Judd Crandall does. Yes. The demonic pet cemetery serves the exact same purpose in the film mm-hmm. that the normal pet cemetery would. Yeah. It suffers from excess. And the fact that Stephen King, mm-hmm. who is a really remarkable storyteller in his own rights, yeah, cannot figure this out, mm-hmm. but yet, and even in the book, can't play out Rachel's fear of death in any way that really matters, mm-hmm. speaks to, 
I'm just going to say it, and this yeah. is going to be kind of a lead into where probably my ratings are. This is just a really stupid story. Yeah. It's a bad story. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. I got a spot for you. What is it? Nothing. Let's just get this over with, huh? It's cold. that cat didn't she more than anything and you love ellie of course so follow me let's come back and ask judd you know judd what did we do up there last night you owe me an explanation so that's when he kind of goes into you know things come back and you know i buried my dog and this and that and what's his name in town buried his bull and the bull came back and through Lewis's research, he finds a few more of these examples. And one of them that no one's been able to execute on the screen, this would actually probably be pretty cool, is is the Timmy Baderman yeah. aspect of this guy whose his son died in the war, went and buried him up there, and he comes back like this unholy version. Like, I would like to see that. I think that could be cool. And Judd was involved with that, trying to, like, put that down. We don't get that. It's, it's a newspaper article in this movie. But Church comes back. And he's all matted and greasy, and they don't mention the smell, but in the book, they're very clear to mm-hmm. mention that church smells like caca. Like, he, he's, he reeks, and but he's overly aggressive, and we see the progression of that, and he eventually jumps in Gage's crib and claws him up. So, church came back, but it's not the same old church. So, this should be like an indicator to Lewis, like, right away, like, okay, we did something up there, something a little unholy. And now we got like a weird version of this thing. And Ellie doesn't even want the cat anymore. Like she's like, the cat, I don't want church in here. I don't want this, this and that church can be outside. Your zombified cat comes back with matted fur. <clears throat> that's bloody. Yeah. After being run over by a truck. And this is another issue. Yeah. Generally speaking, if you get hit by a seven town, a seven ton truck that's traveling at 65 miles an hour, Jesse, what's left of you? Yeah. How about nothing? Mm-hmm. But somehow in this movie... Hang on, I, I want to get into that okay. a, a little further. So the zombified cat comes back. It stinks. It's violent. It's scratching everyone. It almost kills your son or is, is scratching the hell out of your son. It keeps bringing semi-living animals to devour in front of you. Mm-hmm. No one likes it. You tell me what you do with that cat. Yeah, I'd probably like take it to, to get put down or just throw it away somewhere. Or if you're a doctor, like yeah. again, and to say that the first one did it better because that first movie's not good. Yeah. You just inject it with something. Mm-hmm. You're a doctor. Yeah. Because we're going to see in a few minutes that Lewis is not all opposed to doctoring things that he gives people, Judd Crandall. Yeah. Right? Okay, keep going. Yeah, so he takes the cat into the wilderness, leaves it, really fox and the hound like, and drives away. It's looking at him. But then um, it comes back. And it comes back at Ellie's birthday party. Yep. And Ellie's not having a great time. And this was... Because she misses <laughs> the cat she doesn't like anyway? <laughs> Listen, this was absolutely hilarious. This is why I love watching movies with you in the theater. Because Lewis gives Ellie a present. Like, oh, don't worry. Like, like I'm sure church is okay. And he's like, here, this. I hope you have a good birthday, Ellie. <laughs> this stuffed animal. <laughs> this cat. With wings. Little girl with wings. <laughs> when you squeeze it 
it go yeah <laughs> and you turned to me you're like wow that's not creepy <laughs> literally the word i know you're blue but you're gonna be really blue now here's this demonic hell spawn stuffed animal that's an angel that meows because that won't make you think of church yeah i don't know who decided that that's that hey, you know what i that, think i've come to it that was botched the movie pet cemetery <laughs> Is a statement about natural selection, sure, and the and Mother Nature ridding the world of those that are not fit. Because this guy, and I'm going to get to this like, with the gauge part later in the film, yeah, is quite frankly mm-hmm. the worst dad yeah. that's ever been. Okay, I know so, you're down, honey. Yeah, here's a picture. Uh, like, yeah, that, it, that's a bad gift. Jesus, and creepy too. So, and she loves it. Yeah. So then she starts having a good time at her party, and they're playing like some weird. I don't even know hide and seek game. Yeah. This is actually the part of the movie I like the most because yep. I like that the writers, the directors, the individuals involved had the balls to make this switch. So mm-hmm. in the book, film one, it's Gage who gets hit by a car in the, the middle of this road, which when I read the book for the first time, when I was reading it, I was like, this is kind of interesting that they're setting Gage up to be hit in the road because He's like two in the book, yeah. being all baby goo goo gaga talking like can't even hear what like understand what he's saying. And then like literally the scene before he dies, there's like a page description of Lewis playing with the boy, and then there's like this relationship, and then like a King wrote a really good line. He's like, Gage Creed would be dead in like two weeks' time or something like that. Like that's good. But he there wasn't like that kind of build up that Ellie had, because Ellie in the book and in this film is curious about death and norma and church yeah. and the cemetery so it's almost natural that it needs to be her better and selection I, I love that this film it's like king had that in front of him and couldn't even realize that oh it should probably be ellie and uh at least he's <laughs> consistent in that yeah so okay. i love that they made this this switch here but then again to your point okay she's hit by not the semi but like the gas tanker like takes her out well hold on so well, so Gage is in the road. They're playing hide and seek. Mm-hmm. Lewis runs out, rescues Gage from the oncoming truck. The truck hits the brakes. It tumbles. The tanker detaches itself from the cab. Yeah, kind of skids down the street and bam, hits yeah. Ellie. Right. But let's talk about this because you were kind of alluding to this in a second. In the first film, Gage is hit by this truck. In the book, he's hit by it. In this one, Ellie's hit by this tanker. You're right. What what the heck would be left of you after you would be a, you would be walking around looking like Victor Pascal at least. At least. They come back so pristine looking and I know you can't like you don't want to like zombify the kids and make them look so horrific that it's like repulsive, but they wouldn't look like how they look, you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. And so in the first film, again, this is not the first film, but like this both movies screw this up. Yeah. In the first film, Gage gets hit Gage gets hit by an 18-wheeler at 65 miles an hour. Yeah. All two feet of him that's 70, you know, 15 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. There would be nothing yeah. left. Obliteration. It would just be a smear mm-hmm. on the asphalt. Not to be too graphic, but that's what would be left. Mm-hmm. In the movie, the original one, yeah. Gage comes back with nary a scratch on his head. Mm-hmm. Okay, in this film, it's not much different. Like, they choose a better victim to be, yeah. uh, you know, the demise of the road, if you will. But they gave Ellie, like, a lazy eye, and that was it. They gave her a lazy eye, they knocked her shoe off, <laughs> and she's basically laying over in the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly okay, whole. Yeah. Just dead. And my question then would be, okay, so when I was watching, I thought, maybe she... And I'm serious about this. Go ahead. 
maybe the impact was so hard and so quick that she bounced off. Like yeah. I could see that you That's bounce fine. off, and that probably wouldn't kill you mm -hmm. insofar as maybe you break your neck. Yeah. But that kid probably not. Like I would actually argue this is crazy, mm -hmm. and I don't have the physics on this. Mm -hmm. Would again? I like also like the choice that they chose the girl. Yeah. Would the tanker down the road, in that state that we see her, like and what the way it leaves her in the movie, laying yeah. in the in the grass in hole? Yeah. Would it have actually have killed her? Because I don't think it would have. Yeah, I, don't know. I think she would have bounced off. Yeah. But maybe has severe head trauma. Like, I don't know. Like Maybe, I'm, but there's no blood on her. There's nothing. She's clean. Right, so that's a huge problem. So you either have to kind of mangle her a bit or twist her head so that her neck is broken. But she's just kind of over there laying in the grass, kind of limp. Like, I actually thought, oh, she's just knocked out. <laughs> because, no, think about it, Jesse. Couldn't the tanker, yeah, no, like, I, wouldn't you bounce? Yeah, you, you would bounce. But damn, it would like kill you instantly. There's no way. The conversations that you and I are having right now yeah. are, for all of our listeners, this is a clear example of the failure to provide the suspension of disbelief. The fact that we are trying to take what is a completely supernaturally preposterous story and apply <clears throat> real physics and principles to it means that the story didn't succeed. Mm -hmm. Like, did you that conversation? Would she have bounced off the tanker? Yeah. Why are we having that? We're not. We haven't bought in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bad sign. So let me. And then here's the other the thing that, and then we'll kind of get into this the crazy ending of this movie. The film is so quick, jumping from scene to scene. We don't have time to digest. This is traumatic. Yeah. This is a father, a family losing a child, which on her birthday. Yeah, on her birthday, it's even more traumatic. We go from there to funeral scene. And there's no time to digest the emotion, the weight, the impact that this has on the family. Because like four minutes from the burial scene, he's drugging Lou, he's drugging Judd, and then he's 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 digging her up out of the ground. You know what I mean? I do. Wait, this is like you taking me to like a buffet, like <laughs> Golden Corral, and we're just <laughs> stuff ourselves for like six hours, and then we fi yeah. and then we finish, and they're like Jesse, you want to go to that buffet down the street? And we're like we just go again. Like, I'm so, like, stuffed. I, I have no time to digest any of this. It's the same with these themes that they're trying to do. These scenes. Heavy themes. Sounds like you're talking about excess. Here's the other thing. Like, I, I can't believe we're saying this because you're right. It is a B-horror film. The director, you you told me, of the original Pet Cemetery, only did two films. Pet Cemetery 1 and 2. Okay, so to that, her name was Mary Lambert. She had a pretty prolific career doing, like, rock videos. Yeah. The Cars, Madonna. Like, quite a nice slate of mm -hmm. three-minute short semi-movies. Mm -hmm. She scores... Pet Cemetery 1, again, I have no idea how. Yeah. She gets it. Okay? Goes back to rock videos, does Pet Cemetery 2, rock videos, and then we're basically done. Yeah. Like, it's a very, very odd choice for the first yeah. film. And to that film, I think film handles the emotional weight of losing a child better than this one does. Man, you're, oh, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Yes. Because that is really a B movie. Yeah. Maybe B movie. Mm -hmm. So instantly we're digging her up, and then again... Going back up to second burial plot, he's not carrying 30-pound gauge up here. He's carrying like 75 to 80-pound Ellie up this mountain, this seven-mile hike up this mountain through the bog. Yeah, you know it, what I've thought about that in that point, too? Yeah. And I don't know this, and maybe one of the, I'm sure one of the listeners can respond. Sure. At what point mm -hmm. in death yeah. does Rick and Morta set in? No, I don't. I because now you're moving something that's not even the flexibility to like sling it over your shoulder. Yeah, it's all. And again, to what I just said, why do I care about that? Because it's so completely 
implausible. Mm-hmm. And in horror, I walk in knowing like, yeah, none of this is going to happen because mm-hmm. it's horror. Like you, the movie fails yeah. ultimately because I'm like, yeah, rigor mortis, that'd be an impossible carry. Exactly. So he I, can, I, And I don't know, like yeah, I, yeah. it's got to be like, it's got to be like within 12 to 24 hours, right? I have no idea, but okay, that, that's, 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 that's justifiable. One more thing to the excess that you talk about. Yeah. After we go through the funeral scene and Ellie's been buried, we already know where where Lewis is going in his mind. Like, I'm going to go bury her. Mm-hmm. Why does he even go and drug Judd? Why doesn't he just go? Yeah. What's the, Judd going to do, my, Jesse? My only thought was that maybe Judd was going to try and stop, stop him. him? Yeah. No, that's that's the answer. Are you Really? <laughs> so he leaves Judd out there to catch pneumonia on this cold night while he goes and digs up his daughter for the seven-mile hike up to the Pet Cemetery Part 2. And then she comes back, and I think actually that there's a pretty cool scene of the two of them. He's in, she's in her bed, and and then he he kind of like lays in there, and he's like, "Am I dead, Daddy?" And like I th- I thought that scene actually played out pretty well, and it was kind of creepy, and it was an interesting re- interaction between the two of them. The setup of <clears throat> Lewis poisoning Judd with the roofie, <laughs> Sabima roofie, yeah, is a great setup for a payoff later in the film mm-hmm. that we never get. Yeah. So later on in the film, we're going to get to the quintessential moment when Lewis is essentially rendered uh, unusable. Yeah. It's not done through drugs. It's done through a bang on the head. Like if you've set that up mm-hmm. with this guy uses drugs yeah. to make people um, less able to be resistance to him, yeah. then pay it off. But guess what? Mm-hmm. He just drugs John Lithgow in some bourbon or some mm-hmm. vodka or whatever. Yeah. And he falls asleep. Again, you wouldn't need to do that. Just sneak out. Yeah. Just walk out. You don't even need his approval. It's an extra scene. Excess. Yeah. Unfulfilled excess. So then this this, kind of gets into another thing, like talking about Lewis Creed, the character. He must be just absolutely insane because I really don't know what Lewis's endgame is at this point. Because hear me out on this scenario. I'm going to dig up daughter. I'm going to go bury her at Pet Cemetery Part 2. She's going to come back. If she comes back, like Church did, what's she going to be like? Is she going to be all haggard and matted and disgusting and smelly? Hang on. You go with me here. A. B. Is it going to be aggressive like Church was? C. Is it going to look dead like Church was? D. Even if all of those factors are a thing and she's kind of moderately normal, how am I going to explain the fact that we had a funeral for her and everyone saw her get hit by this truck and she's just here now? She's going to go to school after that? They're going to nickname her dead girl like the rest of her life? Like, what, no kidding. What kind of endgame is Lewis hoping out of this scenario? Okay, which gets I, to the... Okay, I and I understand parents' grief. Like, I, I, I've never gone through this and I, you know, like, I couldn't even put my in the shoes of parents that have gone through losing a child right but this is insanity on to the nth degree which speaks to what this movie should be yeah is what a man will go through mm-hmm. to protect his family or a family will go through to protect her it's all there yeah from rachel and the zelda stuff yeah to judd and the the wife that kind of is teased out that he might have something to do with her demise but mm-hmm. is not played out again shockingly to no significance in the film <laughs> is mentioned in a throwaway line yeah. to what lewis does for his daughter right like not only is what is she going to do when she comes back we're just going to ingratiate her back into life with like her stinkiness and like and here is the part of the movie that works well for me okay she comes back mm-hmm. 
And she's mostly docile and kind of loving. Yeah. Can I just say real quick, too? I thought this was actually, you know, a pretty good performance by this young actor. I agree. This young no, no, I agree with you totally. This is a hard part for any child actors, even in the original film. This is a pretty good performance for what was given to you. So when, yeah, I agree. So when Ellie comes <clears throat> back, I think they do, if you can sort of forget the part that she just got dump trucked by 70,000 pounds of like tanker and you can get past that. Yeah. Like they do do a pretty good job of showing like the, uh, the post-mortem effects of her. She's got kind of a lazy eye effect. Mm-hmm. She's kind of got an ashen look to her. And what was really creepy to me mm-hmm. is how is this going to go south for Lewis? Cause it has to, otherwise there's no movie and we've seen what church is, mm-hmm. but Jesse, when she comes back, mm-hmm. She's kind of a likable daughter. Mm-hmm. And like they have the scene where he takes her in the bath and he washes her and he's trying to comb out her hair. And we see her him pull the hair out of her head and there's staples that have stapled her skull closed. Yeah. And there's all of these things and like the explanation <clears throat> of I think you're dead and what that means or dad, I think I'm dead and what that means. And like her coming to terms with that. But here's the problem. Yeah. Okay. If you go south coming back from Pet Cemetery because... You're frustrated that you should be dead and you're not. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a possibility. This movie seems to present a possibility that you've been possessed by a demon. If that's the case, what demon comes back and wants to cuddle with dad in bed? Like, And I mean that in, not in a weird way. Like, yeah. like hold mm-hmm. me dad kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I love you to 12 hours later, this hellish entity mm-hmm. knocking shit over. Like... There is zero consistency on what... Church came back awful from the word go. Yeah. Ellie comes back mostly likable, a bit troubled with trying to figure out where she is, to hell on earth. Mm -hmm. But everybody else in this movie comes back immediately wicked. Yeah. There's no consistency on what it is. And I'd like to say, huh, well, it's a think piece bullshit. It's just (laughs) lazy writing. Yeah. What is she? Is she... like? Is she good? Is she bad? Mm-hmm. Be consistent. Exactly. I was, as much as I liked all of that, him combing her hair and the hair pulls out and you see that, I thought that was infinitely creepy. Mm-hmm. And what made it creepy and worked for me mm-hmm. is she was kind of loving. Mm-hmm. Like, Dad, I miss you. You're like, hey, maybe this could work. <laughs> right. Maybe this scenario could actually work. And then... Then yeah, it all goes south. Goes south with no explanation as to why. So then they cut back to Judd who's been asleep all night. Probably has pneumonia. At least he put a blanket on him. At least Lewis put a blanket on him. Because he's loving. But he, when he woke Stupid. up, I was like, Jesus. I was like, he's like, he's going to die now just from being like, he's going to get sick now. So he goes inside. And th- this adaptation did something that is effective in the book, which it's even creepier coming out of Gage's mouth. When So Gage actually, the, the, the possessed child, assimilates like... The voices of people they know, normally Norma Crandall, Judd's wife, and I like that they showed that element that it actually she lifted the the mask and it was it was Norma. That was pretty cool. Of course, you get the Achilles tendon scene, which you know that's quintessential. Quintessential, yeah. Now, thank thank you, movie one. I didn't think we'd be praising you as much as we are today. Is that in the book? No, it's not. Huh, it's not. Yeah. Okay. So um, okay. we Good see job, that Mary and, Lambert. Yeah, and she, they 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 hack Judd to de- uh, she hack, hacks Judd to, to death with the scalpel. Wait, so I gotta stop you for a second. Go ahead. What does Ellie weigh? Seventy five pounds, maybe. Yeah, seventy. Okay, so <clears throat> the only way that a seventy pound nine year old 
can take down a full-grown man, even at judge, at judge, mm-hmm. at Judd's aged state, mm-hmm. is if it's been possessed yeah. by some other world presence. Mm-hmm. And an other world presence possesses you with ill intent from the word go. Mm-hmm. Not like, I'm going to try this out as a nice guy for a minute, and then I'm going to turn... Fucking bullshit, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, again... You're either evil or you're not. Yeah. And everybody else in the movie is evil upon reincarnation. Yeah. Except Ellie for about the first 30, nah, first 18 hours. Mm-hmm. I really struggle with that. Okay. Well, let me... It's better than the first one because Gage is not terrifying at all. If Gage rolls up on me in the first movie, yeah. it's a swift kick and I'm gone. I'm pushing him out of the way. I don't care if there's a demon in there. He has... He has that mortal coil with which he can carry out his bidding. And, and it, the strides of a two-year-old, yeah. they're not keeping up with mine. And it's interesting because he sneaks up on, on Judd in that one He's because he's hiding under the under the bed. Would be the only way yeah. that they can do it yeah. is be sneakier. I got to tell you one thing I do like about this adaptation and, and 1989. In the book, I, the first time reading it was an interesting experience because I know how this story ends. I know... That the kid has to come back and he's going to go on this little mini rampage. I was waiting for this to happen in the book. And no joke, like, it's the last... It's a 500-page book. It's the last 50 to 40 pages. Like, they really... Like, you're like, the book's running out of pages. What's the rest of the story? The book's running out of pages. Like, I'm running I'm running oh out of space. God. Oh, my God. So, like, I think this is an important part of the of the story. I like how both of the adaptations take the time to flesh, flesh that out. In, in kind of different ways, so to speak. Okay. So Rachel does come back uh, because she's had a, an instinct. Uh, Gage was... Again, this is... It's kind of ridiculous. So this Pascal incident happened maybe six or eight months ago. Yep. And Gage just starts saying, Pascal, Pas- Mr. Pascal. And Rachel clicks, oh my God, that guy Lewis was talking about. Because Gage has had the ability to talk a lot the whole film. Like, <laughs> oh no, we haven't seen Gage the whole goddamn film. Yeah. And now he's talking. <clears throat> so I, 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 I mentioned to my wife, I said, if I, if I mentioned a name to you of someone I worked with four or five months ago, an interesting subject, maybe we, we, it was something interesting, Six months later, would you like remember that name? Probably, probably not. No way. It's obscure at this point. Right. The name, it just instantly clicks for Rachel, and she's like, "I got to go back to Lewis. He's something, something weird's happening." So she goes back and reacts as most people probably would to your daughter walking down the hallway. Yeah, freaks out. But then, right, then goes into the bed and starts crying with a creepy stuffed animal. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So Ellie kills Rachel, obviously. And then, but before she does, drops Gage down to Lewis so the two of them can escape. Lewis locks Gage in the car. Oh my god! <laughs> goes back up, and then, then, then that's when he's hit over the head with, with. I thought it was a toilet. I thought it was a top of a toilet bowl. I thought it was. A, I thought it was a sink, like <laughs> some porcelain thing. Yeah, so he's hit over the head with some porcelain thing. He's knocked out. Wakes up a few hours later. Meanwhile, Gage has been like locked in the car for like three, four hours. But so you know what? You could even like okay to that. That's a bad dad move, though. D- yeah, terrible. Like I'm gonna put my kid in this car out here in the cold. He's already found out that like in the in the interim of this, Lewis has figured out that Judd has been hacked to death mm-hmm. by Ellie. Yeah. So he's come to that realization. <clears throat> Honestly, yeah. in suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. you're Lewis. Yeah. Would you really? leave gage by himself no i'm keeping gage tucked under my arm yeah at least i know where he is yeah but he puts him in the car yeah 
here's the other thing too. If, and I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, if Lewis is redeemed un, or is like rendered unusable mm-hmm. at this moment, yeah. why not inject him mm-hmm. with something that he's already set up earlier? Yeah. Nope. It's a bang on the head. There's also a way to play that out. Mm-hmm. What if there's a noise? Like, put a dumbwaiter mm-hmm. in the house that they move into. Yeah. Then you tie Rachel back to the dumbwaiter there element. There's no dumbwaiter element brought And you back. put, a, like, an echo up something in the dumbwaiter, and he looks up, and it comes down and smashes him out cold. Like, there's so many ways that this doesn't seem so contrived that could pay off what they built up earlier. And he, Stephen King cannot find a one of them. Like, he cannot find his ass with a roadmap in the story. <laughs> he was, again, drinking heavily and doing a lot of drugs during this time. You know, so, like yeah. the kind of hamburger that when you take a bite, the chili falls down your chin. <laughs> yes. So, while Lewis is knocked out, little seven-year, nine-year-old Allie drags mom up the seven miles to pick... Wait, what did you just say? She yeah. does what? <laughs> little nine-year-old Allie drags... Mom, Rachel. That's funny. I thought you said she drags a full-grown corpse, but I yeah. maybe you did say that. There you <laughs> go. Weird. Up seven miles to Pet Cemetery Part Two, mm-hmm. and then Lewis comes to finds Ellie in the Pet Cemetery, the original one, and they they do have a little fisticuffs battle, right? A little battle, and he's about to kill her. He's about to like lop her head off with the shovel if he didn't like. He should have done it before all his spiel. But then he's speared with some wrought iron like gate. Thing, like this sharp object by Rachel who Ellie went to bury up there and now she's come back down and now there's two of them so then Lewis is dead obviously so now the two of them drag Lewis up the seven miles to Pet Cemetery Part 2 bury him and then the three of them come back down one happy dead disgusting family seeing Gage in the car who's been in the car for eight hours probably <laughs> exactly god yeah this is like child abuse now and they come up to him, and he's like, oh, the f- he's so confused. Hi, family. Hi, family. And then they click the car, bloop, bloop, and the movie ends. And at that point, you're like, good God, are we gonna- we're going back up again to, the- to take Gage next. Yeah. Like, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I hate that, too. Yes. Maybe that's pet peeve number two of Jesse's movie pet peeves. Back and forth, back and yeah, forth. Jesse, it was forth. avoidable. Just like we said, make the one cemetery the the, the serve all cemetery. Yeah, that would be. That, that then would, you don't have to worry. Like, okay, how honestly? Yeah. I know Ellie at this point, mm-hmm. per story, I suppose, is imbued with the supernatural strength of a demon. Yeah. How is she drag? And, and here's the other thing too: if she drags mom up the thicket over the quarry, what's left of her clothes? <laughs> and. Okay, so let's assume she can, right? Yeah. Okay, and secondly, what's left? And then when mom comes back in reincarnated state, mm-hmm. her clothes are mostly not tattered in whole. Yeah. I got to tell King's novel real quick, too, because Lewis actually has a hard time not only digging up Gage out of the cemetery, he has a hard time getting him up to the thing. Well, at least that's sort of, re, you know, <laughs> as you would. Believable. As you would. So now you're going to have this unholy family of four, the Creed family, the dead family, who's just going to now wreck havoc on Ludlow, Maine. I gotta tell you, I don't even care. Yeah. I think again, handled better in the first adaptation. And I as sick as that sounds, and that's you're right. It's that's not a great movie. It's serviceable, but it's not good. No, it's not good. It's B movie schlock. Yeah. With a again, no disrespect to Mary Lambert. Yeah. I'd rather see Lewis playing solitaire in the kitchen than the wife comes back than up back and forth between the cemeteries. So that's the original ending, right? In the book and in the first movie. Yeah. It's like he buries Rachel and he's disposed of in the first book and in the movie 
or in the first movie in the book, Gage. Like he has with the drug. Oh wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Use the medicine ability. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So yeah. But nah. Fuck that. Yeah. Right. So Gage is done away uh-huh. with, and we get Lewis sitting on the floor. I think Solitaire is kind of an appropriate game just by the title of the game. Yeah. Solitaire, Solitude, mm-hmm. Solitary. Mm-hmm. Right. It kind of fits. And then we get Hi Darling, hand on her shoulder. Now in the book it ends with her hand on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it's like this really weird makeout scene. Again, Pet Cemetery 2 is not Pet Cemetery 1, but one last point. Yeah. Gage get run Gage gets run over by a semi. Yeah. Should be smattered, like smashed to bits. Yeah. Nope. Rachel gets stabbed a little bit by a two-year-old and comes back in the first movie disgusting missing an eye missing her flesh like yeah. complete just just nonsense yeah. just okay whatever um and then you get and this remember how remember what your pet peeve in this film was mm-hmm. you get the ending before you get the beginning mm-hmm. why in the world yeah would the creed family set their house on fire at this point yeah because before they go and have the family reunion with gage to bring him into the undead yeah they burn their house down, mm-hmm. um, because was it their house? Why? Was it their house or Judd's house? Who cares? But okay, but why? Because they do bury, they do burn Judd's house in the book. But then in this one, why would they burn Judd's house? What? What? I guess maybe it is Judd's house because we do get the the bloody handprints. I, I, again, but no, no. Why? There's Who nothing. Does... There's nothing in there. Lewis burns it down because Gage is in there, Judd, and he he just incinerates in it. in the book. Yeah, that makes sense. Why did it, right? I'm now it doesn't. Movie. Why burn down either house in the book? Now it doesn't. Are they going to put Grandpa Judd in the ground too and bring him back? It's a sequel. I mean, that, we've only been up five times. Sequel, What's six? Between I never want to see as long as I live. I don't know what six trips to the second pet cemetery is between Good. zombie friends. Like who cares? Got it. Like I never want to go hiking now because I'll just be thinking of this movie going up and forth oh this God. mountain. Yeah. Okay, so Matt, I think it's time now more than ever. What would you rate grade Pet Cemetery and just? A little recap for our listeners jumping on at different points. Our rating system is Rock Gut, Call. Oh, let me back up. Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, Top Shelf. What do you rate it, Matt? You know, as much as we've been really hard on this film, we've, we've trashed it pretty good. Yeah. I think with reasonable explanation. Mm-hmm. I think the movie puts lipstick on this pig and makes it semi-palatable. Yeah. I'm going to call this movie well. I'm going to call the story straight rot gut. It's stupid. And I like zombies as much as anybody. Mm -hmm. Right? Zombies are cool. Yeah. Like it's an interesting kind of villain to fight. The story is absolute trash. Maybe Stephen King's worst. Maybe not. (laughs) I said that waiting. I put that on the tee for you. Yeah, there's, there's, there's maybe a little worse. Home than run that. for your rotisserie league based in Rice Smile films. There you there. go. It's it's well barely. Mm-hmm. I left that movie last night and it sat with me, which sometimes I'm careful with. Like I think Hereditary sat with me for a few days, but in like a disturbing way. And the more I looked, took a step back from Hereditary, I thought, oh, man, that movie. That, that was, I would, I would that love, was a tough film. For I would me. love to talk about that movie one day too because you can tell the artistic difference between a film like that and a film like this. This felt like assembly line. Tell the Pet Cemetery story and get it out there. Hereditary was a battle through the trenches of oh, yeah. this very uncomfortable situation. 
I'm careful to sort of like knee-jerk respond to my initial feeling with the film. But I will say, if a movie sticks with me for more than two hours after it, like it's 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 remarkable in some ways. Mm-hmm. This is remarkably bad. Like now, 15 hours later, I'm looking at it, and clearly the frustration that I've had has been expressed, and as you was yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Rock gut story, like barely rock gut story. Like we're talking filtered through a pair of grandma's used pantyhose rock gut. Like yeah. awful. Mm-hmm. Like this makes Gordon's gin look pretty good rock gut. Like mm-hmm. terrible stuff stupid story Mm -hmm. with a pretty good 15 minute sequence which is when ellie comes back from the cemetery initially like i thought that was the best part of the film oh yeah that was effective for sure but the rest is is mostly forgettable and there's some bad directorial choices in there and there's some lack of consistency and it's contrived and it's excessive and overwrought yeah it's 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 well minus Mm -hmm. only because the bit with Ellie after the yeah. reincarnation is pretty good. What do you got? Also clock in at a well rating as as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this, you know, like when I was watching it and I was, as I was thinking of the, the stuff playing out on screen, like I told you earlier, I was like, I can't fault the filmmakers, the writers for the way this is going because King put the blueprint down for this entire thing. Yeah. And some of this is very questionable now that I'm think, thinking about it. And I liked the book when I read it. And, you know, the book, when you have 500 pages of book to really flesh out the troubled uh, uh, relationship between uh, Lewis and Rachel, you have time to do that. The relationship between the parents and Lewis, you have time to do that. Uh, the relationship between Death and Ellie, you have time to do that. This movie is an hour and 41 minutes. I mean, like, we're going like gangbusters at this point we're going quick but i do like some of the changes they did make it made more sense obviously to make this ellie versus gage sure it's more thematically it makes more sense too like that that little two-year-old what's what's he gonna do to me like a nine-year-old yeah it's it's something a little different a little bit um yeah some questionable changes and yeah again like why the and almighty hell are we going up that cemetery four times and then again why are there two cemeteries Why are there two? Why is there a ghost and a moral conscience to do the same? I thing? like the idea. I like the initial idea that if you go bury this thing up there, it'll come back. But it's not going to come back the way you remember it. It's going to come back as a shade of what you remember it, but with a different personality. But Jesse, that gets to the question that you asked initially, like yeah. remakes, mm-hmm. which is what's been delivered poorly, and that's actually a really cool idea. It is, yeah. That it's just in in this state in his writing pantheon yeah with the amount of drugs he's doing yeah, and whatever it, else call it the 80s okay yeah you know and the story on this is actually kind of interesting the story of this was it almost never made it again his wife pulled it out of the trash <laughs> didn't really but <laughs> yeah because he thought it was too grim and he stated mm-hmm. that this is the story that scared him the most and it's inspired mm-hmm. by a like event that happened to his son with a truck on the road mm-hmm. so you know, there is that. So he's writing from a place of sort of familiarity and fear, which kind of is genuine. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't deliver. I think I told you when we left the movie, I think if you took the best parts of the book, the best parts of that first film, like mm-hmm. Zelda and good Judd Crandall. and Which you told me last night is like an actually man it was playing a man. Zelda in the first it film. It was a man, yeah. And then the elements in this one, the Ellie bits and maybe a few other things, maybe not. I think maybe then you combine all that. Maybe there's a pretty decent like idea right there between the the the, the symmetry of those three things. But it's not those three things. They're all separated, and this is the film we have. So 
it's a well film for me. It's I've seen War- Dark Towers by far a worse Stephen King adaptation by far. Like don't even get me wrong. There's worse Stephen King adaptations, but yeah, it hates me to say this as B movie as that '89 remake is. That's a better film. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So let's leave it at that. And I am so excited for this nightcap question. So you know this we're talking about King. This is the last film in the cast for King's Landing Part One. You know we've talked about a lot of these directors. You know Mary Lambert and Frank Darabont and Brian De Palma and all these different entities. Rob Reiner. Yeah. So that pondered a question: What filmmaker would you like to see tackle a Stephen King novel, and which one? In the late forties, C.S. Lewis and everybody knows C.S. Lewis from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe wrote a really remarkable book that I would recommend to all of our listeners, which is called The Screwtape Letters. And The Screwtape Letters is essentially a book of letters between two demons, Uncle Screwtape and his nephew Wormwood. And it's a discussion about how to corrupt the soul of mankind in what is a perceived goodness for all of mankind. And the book hinges upon greed and vanity okay it's a brilliant read have you ever read it Mm-mm. you should read it okay the screw tape letters it's okay. short it's like under 200 pages okay it's a really telling book i've loved that book since my little ccd going roman catholic raised self found it when i was 12 ish yeah i love it mm-hmm. i've always been i very interested in the idea of the corruption of man's innate good mm-hmm. through greed by demonic forces. Okay. So that's a setup for needful things. Okay. Which is a terrible Stephen King movie <laughs> on a cool idea. Yeah. A shop that has a place where you can find a piece of Noah's Ark. Okay. Or a Joe DiMaggio rookie card. And in the prospect of attaining that from this store with these very reasonable prices, yeah. you give up a little bit of your soul. Mm. And how the owner of that store takes that and corrupts this town and causes essentially like this Hatfield McCoy civil war between everybody. Mm. I want needful things done by David Fincher. Mm. <laughs> it could be so good. Oh, Look, there's obviously there's obviously a tie to seven in here because yeah. it sort of plays on the same themes. Yeah. I want David Fincher to direct needful things. Ooh, that's good. I'll be there opening night. Yeah, there oh, that's that I like that. Yeah. Ooh, excellent. Okay. You got one that you're excited. Let's hear it. I do. I don't know. You you might really like mine too. So I'm sure I will. I'll tell a little backstory to mine too. In 1990, there was a television show that came out. And I would tell you up front, it's not for everybody. But oh boy, does it have a cult following. That TV show is Twin Peaks. Yeah. Show ran by David Lynch. Uh, it's a weird show. It it's is. about a town and trying to investigate a murder. And man, are all those characters kooky bastards. And it's it's fun to watch it play out in the weirdest way. And then you had Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me and all that crazy shit. Yeah. Um, I want to see, and I, I don't know if he's retired. I don't know if David Lynch said he's not making many movies anymore. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? But whatever. I want David Lynch doing his version of Pets, oh, no, of Salem's Lot. Oh. So we're taking, that's good. We're taking that town element of Twin Ooh. Peaks, placing that in Salem's Lot, Maine. Mm-hmm. But then David Lynch, do your do do your David Lynchian thing and throw vampires into that as well. Oh, that could be so surreal and weird, and and it, it kind of needs to be weird too. So kind of think whenever he's kind of tabled into horror like Mulholland Drive and Eraserhead, it's been really unsettling. Yeah, you get that with vampires, but then man, bring those weird creep. Like I always remember the scene in Twin Peaks of like. 
the uh, the guy I can't remember his his character's name, but he had the 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 per, the fit uh, the coffee that he made. But he's like, oh, you don't want that coffee? There's a fish in the percolator. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna taste like fish. Bring that sensibility to Salem's Lot because there's a ton of characters in that story that are all kooky characters. You know what? That's just that's really good because the the driving point in Salem's Lot is the interesting aspect of the townies that you get to meet in mm-hmm. Salem's Lot. Yep. Man, it is so ripe to be Twin Peaks-esque. That's a good one, dude. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I even want that like that droning by Angelo Bellarmenti, that droning music sound that do that that Twin Peaks theme. Like bring that guy too. Like he's got to do the music. That's really good. So there Man, you go. Can we put a double bill together of those two films. There like, you go. I don't know who owns the right. I don't know who made that original. That movie sucks ass. <laughs> Whoever made that movie, I don't know who owns the rights. I know Warner Brothers owns the rights to Salem's Lot. Whoever's listening to this, they want to get those off the ground. Get those guys involved. Matt and I will write. We'll write the stories for those. And yeah, we'll make we'll make that happen. Ooh, I want I want to see both of those movies actually. Yeah, no kidding. I think the next Stephen King adaptation we are getting on the screen is actually It Chapter Two in September, which. I'm hopeful with that. That actually has a pretty good cast attached to it to play those adult kids. Look, it's no secret that yeah. he's popular right now and his stuff is getting yeah. a, a revisitation. Yeah. I just want someone mm-hmm. to do it well. And I would like to, for a mm-hmm. long time, my, my take on Stephen King was yeah. a really, I would argue per sales and per yeah. length, maybe the greatest American writer ever. No, yeah, now I know people can be like, oh, blah, 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 blah you know. That. No, like, I can defend it yeah. with like, the amount of reads mm-hmm. that they've had. Yeah. Okay. But I had a belief for a long time that the curse of Stephen King was terrible directors like the Mary Lamberts of the world. But yeah. if you look at it, it's Rob Reiner and David Cronenberg and John Carpenter and um, Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma. Frank and Darabont. Frank Darabont mm-hmm. and uh, what's his name? Um, Shiny guy. Come on. Uh, Kubrick. Oh, Kubrick. Yeah. Like, I'm wrong. Yeah. They just didn't... Maybe... Is it budget? Because if you give me John Carpenter or David Cronenberg and I'm saying it's horror... Yeah. That's not a miss, Jesse. Yeah. That's not a miss. Yeah. Now, Rob Reiner in horror, that might be a miss. Yeah. But Misery's one of his better... That's pretty goddamn good film in his yeah. slate. Mm-hmm. So, it's not about directors. Because I think you and I have defended Mary Lambert mm-hmm. in a weird way to do <laughs> Yeah. I didn't think we were going to do that, but we suddenly did. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I'd like to see them, you know, you know, like the dark half. That's actually the King book I'm going to read next after I finish Cujo. Yeah, tackle some of some of those obscure entries. Yeah, flesh out some of those uh, short stories that there's some potential there. Guys, um, that's an interesting discussion for us today, and I would actually recommend, even though we've panned it, you mm-hmm. seeing this film. Yeah, just because I do think it is a, an interesting point to go and look at it. But Jesse and I kind of have a sort of an exciting announcement here for you a little bit. We really do read all the feedback that you give us, whether it's Facebook or email or on Instagram or what have it. And we're going to start highlighting one of those per week. And we've got a little send out that we're started. Me and Jesse kind of talked about this last night. We have some really interesting art that is sort of art for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And if we read or respond to your social media acknowledgement mm-hmm. then we will be sending a t-shirt for i smile films your way that's i think <clears throat> kind of a 
a monumental moment in whatever this is going to be. And yeah. he, mostly it's just a lark that you and I really enjoy. Yeah. That seems to be kind of taken off. Guys, we're over like 1,600, 1,700 downloads. Yeah. We're moving. Yeah. And that's because of you all. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start acknowledging those people yeah, here, and start sending some stuff your way. And we'll talk about how we'll, we'll get in touch with you for address and all that. And we'll pay for the shipping and handling. But um, anyway, do you want to run with that a little bit? Go oh, ahead. Yeah, in the next couple of weeks, yeah, we'll start getting that off the ground. You know, once all that's once all that's finalized. And yeah, we just want to pay back the fans for listening. And I think yeah, I'm with you, Matt. I, I, I didn't know the kind of response we were going to get when we did this. But I know there's an uh, audience out there for people that like listening to to movie talk and people but break it down in a constructive way i've listened to podcasts before where you know they're they kind of just you know trash the movie or it's, it's this and that but that's not the intention of mine of of matt and i we want to kind of break it down to the extent of those opportunities that could have been there and breaking down story and direction and and all that from a unique point of view so I, we really have to thank you and you know we, we can kind of see the demographics at least australia europe Greece, uh, Norway, Canada, the United States. Uh, it's it's remarkable. I think the first little group we had was in Minnesota. Didn't you tell me like we had a yeah little... Minnesota and I we know nobody in Minnesota, so <laughs> it's just it's finding its way up there. So keep spreading the word. And the other way that'll that'll help people find this podcast if you're on iTunes and you listen to it on Apple devices, go leave us a little review, a rating. And we'll get bumped up in the queue and help other people find this podcast just by chance because that's actually how I find a lot of my podcasts too. And to Evan Daniel who called this podcast the Gucci of podcasts, you're the first one receiving the shirt, buddy. So it's coming your way. There you go. So Matt, let's tell them, let's tell the listeners what we got coming up. So April's a loaded month. Not only yesterday did we have the release of Pet Cemetery, but we had the release of DC Comics Shazam. Right. And... That's going to be the film for next week, for next week's episode. And that's actually going to start a whole new thing that as much as we like film, I think it's arguable. We could say we like comic books and superheroes just as much. If not more. Yes. So our next slate leading up to the April 26th release of Avengers Endgame, which, you know, talk about a monumental film in my lifetime. That's going to be gigantic. Yeah. We're going to tackle some superhero films. And we're going to tackle some unique things. And then another fun thing. So follow us on Facebook. Starting next week, you're going to see a posting to vote for the entry of the week three film that we review. We're not picking it. The user's going to pick it. So whichever film gets the, the, the most votes that week, uh, we won't tell you what they are, but you go vote for them is what we, what we check out. So check that out. So next week... Uh, is our superhero launch, right? Yeah, and um, I, I came up with the name for it, Matt. I think you'll like it. We're going to call this With Great Power Part 1. I love it. Yeah. Again, like King, this is something we can come back to time and time again. I mean, we're talking about four of these superhero films. There's 50 plus that we can dive into. Yeah, so this is a bit of a different cask in that usually it's three entries. This will be four. We wanted to give everybody a couple weeks to get through Endgame, mm-hmm. so we extended the the cast to one more week so that you all can see it because I nobody wants to have that film spoiled. Mm-hmm. Like if we spoil Pet Cemetery, you'll live. Yeah. But for some of you, we don't want to you know ruin that in game opportunity. Exactly. So you got that coming for you next week, Shazam, and raise one up, Matt. Cheers. Cheers, Jesse. I want to make a cheers to Stephen King because as much as he frustrates us, I love reading his books. I love reading his stories, his characters, those worlds he creates. And I also want to cheers Brian De Palma, Frank Darabont, and Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer for 
bringing those adaptations to the screen. You know, it's fun when you read one of these books, getting it to see it come to life on the screen. That's that's a fun experience, whether you like it or not. You know, you took the time to invest into that. So cheers. I'm going to add two more to that. I'm going to add a salute to or cheers to Charlize Theron and may she find what she's looking for and also to Mary Lambert because those early Madonna videos are staples in my life. Excellent. And to you all out there, Real History and Everybody Extended, thank you all for the efforts and the listens. We appreciate you so much. Perfect. And we'll see you all next week with our review of Shazam. But Matt and I have to be going. we got to make that seven-mile trick up to the second burial plot of Pet Cemetery to go bury one of Matt's pet turtles. His name was Scooter. Excellent. We'll see you next week. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play Music, and leave us an email at ryesmileproductions at gmail.com. Pet Cemetery is property of Paramount Pictures and De Bonaventure Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. So what happened to your dog, Judd? He came back, just like Danny B said he would, but he was changed. It was when he went after my mother that my daddy put him down. For the second time. Sometimes dead is better.